Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father, we're learning a lot about what it means to be formed in Christ through our sermon series in Colossians, uh, what it means to become the best version of ourselves, um, and what we're learning is that it can only come to fruition as long as Jesus Christ is the foundation of our identity. Jesus, you're not just God. Um, you also were the best example of what it means to a human being, and we long to be shaped by you and who you are. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes again and apply God's words to our hearts and to our souls that we may become more like our Savior, that we may treasure him for everything that he went through so that we can actually become the best version of ourselves. And we pray these things for the glory of the triune God. Amen. Please be seated. All right, confession time. Um, I'm not doing too hot with my New Year's resolution um, this year. Um, I just love, I love sugar. I, I, I really do. But I'm not the only one. Uh, research says that in two months, we're all, uh, more than 90% of us are going to give up. So I just say, let's just give up today. Um, kind of make it easier on ourselves. Uh, but that's a kind of, you know, staggering statistic. And so I, you know, ask myself, you know, why is that the case? Why is it the case that more than 90% of us are going to give up on our New Year's resolutions just in a matter of a couple months? Couple of a uh, couple of reasons. One, um, you know the optimistic, good feelings that we have in the beginning of the new year. Well, uh, making our resolutions and goals purely based on on how optimistic we're feeling about the new year isn't the best way to make goals because those feelings uh, are going to go away. Um, and so that's you know that's one reason why uh, people might start giving up on their New Year's resolutions a little bit earlier than they want. Um, the second reason is that. Uh, the most common resolutions that people make for the new year. So things like uh, losing weight, going to the gym more often, eating better, um, spending money more wisely, you know, wanting to be in better financial health at the end of the year. These are pretty lofty and large goals, right? Um, they're not things that change overnight, and that can be discouraging. Um, changing bad habits and lifestyles or unhealthy lifestyles uh, require deeper and a slower work on our part. Uh, you can't take shortcuts with things like these. You, you can't take the easy way out. So if 90% of us are going to fail to achieve the New Year's resolutions that I just mentioned, the most common ones, um, I think it's important for us to think through 
uh, how much harder is it going to be for us to stop bad habits that actually have a little bit more weight in the way that they uh, shape things like how we love our families well, um, our character, right? These more important priorities. How much harder is it going to be for us to silent, you know, stop silently um, celebrating the, the failures, the stepbacks of, of friends and those family members that have hurt us? Um, how much more difficult is it going to be for us to stop judging people as we kind of endlessly scroll through, scroll through social media? Uh, how much more difficult is it going to be for us to stop looking lustfully at that Instagram model when your spouse is in the other room, right? Um, I, we uh, tend to pursue simple solutions, simple fixes, or may, we may not even try at all, uh, but when it, become, when, it, when it comes to becoming the best version of ourselves, uh, this requires hard work. Um, God tells us that it actually requires ultimate and complete transformation. Uh, it requires a miracle, as a matter of fact. Uh, not another resolution. Uh, I also wonder if a part of the reason why we, so we quit uh, so soon on our New Year's resolutions is because we want to guarantee that the hard work that we're going to put in is actually going to be worth it at the end of the year. What if I were to tell you that Jesus actually guarantees not that we're going to lose all the weight that we want by the end of the year, um, not that we're going to be in a better financial position at the end of the year, um, Although he cares about these things, don't get me wrong, but he cares more about your struggle with pride, with greed, with anxiety, with lust, the deeper issues of the heart. He cares about them so much that if we're honest with ourselves and with one another and with him about these things, Christ guarantees that he's going to change our hearts. He's going to help us become the best version of ourselves. You might have heard this phrase, um, and I think to some degree, Jesus might agree with it. Jesus, I think, does, I think he does want us to live our best life. John 10.10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. But it may not be the life that you expect. And it certainly doesn't happen in the way that we may want um, or that we might expect. How does it happen exactly? How do we live our best life? How do we become the best version of ourselves? God, through our passage today, tells us, that we need to die in Christ in order to truly be alive, in order to truly be the best version of ourselves. Now, what does it mean to die in Christ in order to truly be alive? God, through his servant Paul, answers this question in two ways. One, first, he says that dying in Christ means we need to die to the world. And second, he says dying in Christ means we need to die to ourselves if we truly want to be alive and become the best version of ourselves. So first, let's talk about what it means to, to die to the world in order to truly be alive. Starting in verse 20, Paul says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? We see Paul reinforcing an idea that he's been focusing so far, uh, at least in the first last, like past several verses of his letter. The idea is that the Christians in the Colossian church are, they're now following Christ, and so they no longer have to live in accordance with the values that they were pursuing and living by before. It's as if they are dead to the world in the way they're now free to reject the principles that used to govern their lives. Of course, that's a lot easier said than done. 
In fact, we probably learned about this last week, and we continue to see it through our passage today. Paul's readers were finding themselves tempted to once again believe and engage with values and practices that would have no, no significant benefit uh, to them, um, no significant benefit to their relationship with God. Paul gives an example of what these kinds of values and regulations are um, that the Christians and the Colossian church were being encouraged to, to follow. Uh, he phrases them in, really, in a really interesting way in verse 21. Um, he, he phrases the types of regulations or practices that the Christians in, Col- in the Colossian church were being encouraged to follow like this. Do not handle, right? Don't touch that. Essentially, don't eat that, he says. Don't go near that, right? And apparently, if these Christians were to do these things, or not do them, I guess, um, they'd become more spiritual. They'd have a better relationship with God, apparently. But do these phrases sound familiar to you? Don't touch that. Don't eat that. Don't go near that, right? My wife Mary and I have said these things about 100 times in the past week. To who? Isabel, right, our toddler, right? And I think that's part of Paul's point when he phrases the kinds of regulations and principles that his readers were being encouraged to follow in this way. A lot of times, the principles and the practices that we choose to follow, they're so black and white. They're they're, they're, um, maybe a little immature or overly simplistic, and they certainly don't have the power to change us from the inside out. Um, Many, to give them the benefit of the doubt, many of Paul's readers uh, were probably pagan, Uh, previously, and so they no longer wanted to do the kinds of things that used to be a part of their former religion, and so maybe they gravitated towards the do's and don'ts in the religion, of of religion, um, to maybe appease God, to to make up for the previous life that they used to have. But the main issue with religious and spiritual practices like this, um, The main issue with New Year's resolutions or human precepts and teachings, as Paul refers to in verse 22, in that same verse, he says that the issues with these things, that they're all going to perish, right? In our efforts to reform and and better ourselves, we tend to focus on parts of our lives that um, are temporal. Um, They don't, they're they're not matters that have eternal value the kinds of things we should actually be focusing on. Dying to the world and truly being alive, according to Paul, means a complete revamping of our priorities. What God ultimately cares about is the person that you're becoming, your character. I mean, can you imagine how much peace and freedom you might experience if you were actually living in a way that was consistent with important values, like being a loving, caring, or a kind person? Not to say that your life is going to be that much easier, but you're actually living in a way that God created you to live. And so I imagine just just living that way with with peace and with freedom and with confidence. Um, Again, I want to be clear. I'm not saying that New Year's resolutions, uh, they have, you know, they have their place, right? God, again, cares about how healthy we are. He cares about our finances. But is your character, your struggle with lust, pride, greed, more important than your health and even your finances? I hope so, I guess. Um, I hope so. Of course, I think a lot of people might say that, and we don't, I mean, Christians as well, myself, like, we don't necessarily live like that. 
Um, but the scriptures are clear. They teach us that these things matter more to God than anything else. Friends, what, are, what is potentially let, getting in the way of you pursuing these higher priorities? Like who you're becoming, your character formation. Could it be good things like your job, your family? Might you be focusing a little bit too much on your health and finances? Um, are you letting other people shape your priorities? And, and, and they can be people who mean well, right? Your friends and your family. Um, maybe there are other people in your life that have a lot of influence over you, you know, um, a, a scholar, a, an athlete, a celebrity, a politician, whatever it is. What would it look like if you let God shape your priorities for this year? He's asking us to die to the world so that he can help us live in the, pre in the peace and the freedom of being the kind of human being he desires us to be. Not only does God um, call us to do that, to die to the world so that we can truly live in a way that matters, letting God shape our character instead of overly focusing on temporal matters, God tells us that becoming the best version of ourselves actually requires that we die to ourselves. What does that mean? Paul is getting to the crux of the issue here. We're going to look at verse 23. Um, he's going to talk about the real reason why our own efforts to better ourselves actually fail to deeply change us. So referring to the values and practices that his readers were being encouraged to follow, which again, at best, are meant to help Christians in the Colossian church maybe improve their relationship with God. Paul says of these things, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Again, what Paul's basically saying here is that our efforts to change and better ourselves have, have no chance to truly transform us to become the kinds of human beings that we hope to be. And that can be hard. That can be hard to hear, but please stay with me. Why does Paul make this bold claim? Um, to answer this, I think it's important to clarify what, by, uh, what he means by uh, the fact that our efforts to change ourselves have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. When Paul talks about the flesh, essentially he's referring to our human nature, that part of ourselves where things like pride and lust and greed live. Um, some Christian scholars, or you might hear from some Christians, um, they call the flesh something like the sinful nature, right? Um, and Paul, what Paul's saying is that we simply can't just do away with our flesh, with our sinful nature by our own, by our own efforts, right? If we imagine our sinful nature kind of like a the spiritual cancer inside of us, how ridiculous is it for a patient to try to remove their own cancer, right? That's, I think that's wh what Paul is kind of getting at here, right? I think Paul is actually maybe going a little bit further, and he's saying that if you're trying to transform yourself by, you know, by your own efforts, you're only going to feed your flesh. You're only going to magnify things like your pride, right? And you probably have seen this kind of thing, right? I'm not sure if I want to meet those 5 to 10% of people who are actually going to achieve their New Year's resolutions by the end of the year, right? I'm not sure if I'm going to want to meet them. Um, what he's saying is, right, when we try to better ourselves through our own efforts, this just feeds our sinful nature. And again, we see, we see this, right? Um, you know, 
We, we judge people who don't work as hard as us, right? That we judge people when they don't hold the same practices and values as us that we think are actually helping us to become a better person when they may not. Now, you may want to resist the notion that we, can't we essentially can't really do much to, to change ourselves in any fundamental way. You might ask, does, does, like, Angel, do you think I'm that hopeless? Does God think I'm, I'm that hopeless? Again, if we think of our flesh, our human nature, this, this, you know, the sin that, leaves, that lives inside of us as kind of a spiritual cancer, then yeah, it is kind of ridiculous for you to try to change yourself on your own. But more than that, I think your vision of who you think you can become, the best version of yourself, pales in comparison to the vision that God has for you. I honestly believe that. God's vision for you and what you were actually meant to become when he created you, when he created human beings, was, is someone who is full of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Right? These are all character traits from Galatians 5.22. Who are the people, either in, I don't know, real life or in movies, TV, books that come to mind when you think of examples of people who exhibit some of these qualities, right? E examples of people who are of excellent character and are beyond reproach. Um, people that come to my mind, you know, Jack, I know he had a drinking problem, but Jack Pearson from This Is Us, right? Um, Marmy, Mrs. March from, from Little Women and her wisdom and her love for her girls. Martin Luther King Jr., Captain America, yeah, right? And, and all these fictional characters, they, they still pale in comparison to the kind of human being that God wants to help you uh, become. This is why God, through Paul, is encouraging us to die to ourselves, to stop trying to better ourselves through our own efforts so that we can truly live in a way that God, that God has intended for us to live. But how exactly do we die to ourselves? Right? If, if Paul's arguing that our flesh, our sinful nature, is like this cancer that's just inside of us that we can't do anything about, how do we die so that we can become every bit of what God intends for us to be? I want you to actually imagine for a second encompassing all those traits, right? Uh, those virtues that Paul describes in Galatians 5.22, right? Being someone who's full of love, joy, peace, self-control, goodness, kindness. If, you're, if it's hard for you to do that for yourself, imagine someone else. I know it's, it seems impossible, but, but try to do it. When I try to do that, I imagine someone who's like the most lovable person that I can imagine, right? That's someone that I want to spend a lot of time with. This is who Jesus was. Right? So while the moral character and righteousness of Jesus Christ is affirmed, not just by Christians, but non-Christians see it as well. We affirm that. What gets in the way of us putting our faith in Jesus, this beautiful person, right, is God's intention and purpose for his son. Right? That's more difficult for us to agree on. Why would God, if he really exists, allow for his son, who's not just God in the flesh, but this man who is so utterly upstanding and in, in, in virtue and beautiful in character, why would he allow this person to die? The Apostle Peter wrote in, in 1 Peter 
chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he, may, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. By taking on human flesh, Jesus Christ didn't just present us with a vision of a kind of beautiful human being. Where's my last page here? Sorry. Um, all right, I guess I'm just going to do this off the dome. Um, all right, so he didn't just present us um, with a vision of the kind of beautiful human being uh, that we see in Jesus. But he took on human flesh, right? He took on human flesh. He took on the spiritual cancer of sin that we all have in our own flesh, and he died. Right? He was nailed, crucified to the cross so that when we put our faith in Jesus, our flesh, right, the spiritual cancer inside of us also dies. It's utterly destroyed. It's amazing to think that you know, the most beautiful human being who ever walked this earth would do that for us. But that's what the, that's what the good news of the gospel is. So, friends, um, I just want to encourage you. Uh, God is calling us to die to the world, right? To, in a sense, to reject the priorities of the world, but maybe in a better way, a better way to put that is to reorder them, right? Make the priorities of God first. Things like our character, right? Our character formation. And then he's also calling us to die to ourselves, right? To die to ourselves uh, to give up on just trying to become the best version of ourselves through our best efforts, but, let, but inviting God into that. Trusting that Jesus took our flesh, took the, the spiritual cancer of sin inside of us, and he crucified that. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to become the best version of ourselves now, uh, but he gave us, 1 Peter 3.18 shows us that he also gave us his spirit. The spirit of Christ replaces the flesh. It battles and wages war against the flesh. It conquers the flesh, right? And helps us to become every bit of what Jesus was in his life on earth. Now, again, I'm not saying, right, please don't give up on your New Year's resolutions in a couple months. Please don't do that, right? You know, I don't have to have a Danish and... Um, the, those cream donuts from Macmillan's Bakery, right? I don't have to have both of them, right? I should just focus on having one. Um, but don't settle for that, right? Don't settle for that. Allow God to change you to become the best version of yourself. Christ died for you so that you can be alive. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.